Hey guys, it's Kyle. Thank you so much for tuning into this K Have You Seen mini episode about spaghetti westerns that we cut out of the uh, For a Few Dollars More episode just to kind of speed things up and keep things moving with the discussion about the movie itself. Um, in this little mini episode, we're going to be talking about some context and some history regarding the Italian westerns that this movie is a part of. So enjoy. Well, the story of Westerns is really interesting and complex uh, on its own, and, you know, where this, this Italian cycle kind of fits in, it essentially revitalized the Western genre worldwide, mm -hmm. because up to that point, American Westerns had kind of fallen out of favor as, you know, once upon a time in Hollywood kind of gets into this a little bit, where, like, the Western genre is kind of, seems to be kind of fading into the background, mm -hmm. and in favor of the more, like, new Hollywood kind of thing. But the Italians that were making westerns in the 60s and early 70s kind of injected a shot of adrenaline into the genre as a whole. And kind of, you know, as the American production code started to become uh, secondary to the rating system, and you could have graphic violence and things like that in mm -hmm. movies. I mean, it sounds weird, but I think that that shift is part of what allowed Hollywood filmmakers to start imitating the Italians and creating grittier American Westerns, Clint Eastwood among them. Like, mm -hmm. as he started to move it, I think he directed his first Western in, like, 1973. So less than 10 years after he was making movies in Italy with, you know, Sergio Leone, he learned a lot. He, he had absorbed a lot from his time doing those movies that was different from his time doing Rawhide, the American mm -hmm. Western television show that he was most famous for in these early days of his career. And then he and several other directors started to kind of adopt those kind of morally ambiguous, more violent, grittier, diff like different, yeah. as you said, moving away from the white hat, black hat uh, uh, approach to Westerns. And that is why today, up till now, you know, we still get interesting uh, Westerns. I think that, you know, it's not as popular as it was 50, 60 years ago, but as a genre, I feel like we still see a handful of westerns pop up every year or so mm -hmm. and in new and interesting ways and also just like a lot of movies that are kind of linked thematically to westerns yeah um movies like the mad max films for example are very indebted to the western style we watched the road warrior mm -hmm. quite a while ago for this podcast and i think that you can see a lot of similarities between that movie and movies like for a few dollars more for example yeah um so anyway, yeah. Um, Do you think you can have a movie set in a desert that doesn't harken to westerns? Like <laughs> it's tough. Can you like you think of Star Wars? I think you can make that point. Yes. Um, Sahara. I'm sure you know. I'm yeah. trying to think of like anything that's not a western but set in a desert. Even like the Mummy. I think you can make a very clear sure. like western connection in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, you did mention the the violence, and that was something that surprised mm -hmm. me in this movie and then watching the documentary which i watched after watching mm -hmm. for a few dollars more it like it seemed so tame compared to yes. some of the stuff they did after sergio yeah. leone with like cutting off people's ears and feeding them to a, yes. and like there is i mean for a few dollars more we'll get there's one scene that is like extremely violent and yeah. in multiple different ways and you, I had no idea you could show that in the movie yeah. theaters in 1965. And that was just kind of the difference between the European standards of production and the American standards of production. Like, in Italy, from you know, they get into this a little bit in the Spaghetti Western documentary, 
about how Sergio Leone liked Westerns as a genre, but he wasn't necessarily aware of the production restrictions that American films had to abide mm -hmm. by. And Clint Eastwood, who was kind of the ambassador uh, in this sense, just chose not to tell him because he was so curious about, like, where is this guy going with this? Like, yeah. you can't, things like, you can't have a gun going off in the same frame as the person being shot. There has to be mm. some, they can't be in the same frame. But Leone didn't know that. And so he has <laughs> shots in Fistful of Dollars and this movie where you see a gun in the foreground that looks gigantic and a person in the mid or background mm -hmm. getting shot. Oh, and tons of them. It happens yeah. all the time. It happens all the time. And um, he just didn't know that. And so that portrayal of violence was something that wasn't permitted in American movies. But if it was imported, the rules were a little bit lax. Oh, okay. um, but yeah, Cardi, your point. Some of these movies that came very shortly after this um, got, took the violence to way farther down into the, uh, into the extremes and to the point where the original Django was banned in the UK until 1993 mm -hmm. when it was finally given an R rating. What I loved the story of, I forget which movie it was, but the filmmaker, I think it was that cutting off ear scene yeah. I mentioned. Django, that, that was the original oh, Django. Oh, was that a Django? Yeah. And he was like, yeah, they told me I had to take that scene out or else like, like that was too violent. That was too far. I had to take that scene out. But somehow it made it in like the certain yes. of the prints. So like Milan and somewhere else, like Milan and Rome's theaters were seeing the scene of the ear and it was getting so much press and yeah. like people were talking about it and it really like set people on fire. And then like Naples or another city that mm -hmm. didn't get those prints was like, hey, what? Like yeah. we didn't see that. So they ended up releasing it because it caused so much like you know, people were so enthralled by that scene specifically, which yeah, they showed clips of it and it is... It looks like it's something in a Quentin Tarantino movie. Like, yeah, it exactly. Is and that's where he and that that scene is copied in the movie Reservoir Dogs. Like that oh, scene is yeah. is exactly copied. There's a scene in Reservoir Dogs where someone gets their ear cut off that is directly ripped from Django. Um, so it's the the influence has been enormous, and for whatever reason, because Italians and Europeans in general have been making versions of American movies for years, but it wasn't until really the the early mid '60s when these specifically when these westerns started to come out that something just clicked, mm -hmm. and that was kind of the worldwide phenomenon. I think it's really fascinating that several of these Westerns, I mean, they were definitely released in the United States, mm -hmm. uh, especially the ones with Clint Eastwood because he was a known quantity. Right. Um, a lot of people to this day don't necessarily know that these are Italian-made movies. Like, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, I would hazard to guess that a large portion of people that have seen that movie and like it probably don't know that it was made in Italy. Is or it as Spain, obviously rather. dubbed as this? We'll one get is? into that, okay. um, but yeah, so that's that's a good segue into like just in general, kind of the the things about these Italian-made westerns that I find really kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. The distinctive style, um, and as you mentioned, just right at the top, technically, Italian movies in general did not record uh, sync sound for years and years and years and years mm -hmm. after the introduction of sound movies. They recorded one hundred percent ADR. So there was no sound recorded on set at all. All the lines of dialogue were recorded after the fact. Mm -hmm. So even when American actors are speaking English, it doesn't quite sync up because it's all being recorded after the fact. But what this allowed them to do was to cast stars from all over Europe. Everybody gave their lines in their own language. And then if it was being released in the United States, American actors would dub it. If it was being released in Spain, Spanish actors. Germany, German actors. And so... That kind of gave them a little bit of flexibility in level the playing field in that nobody got a perfectly synced version of the movie. <laughs> yeah, that was. I'm glad I watched the documentary side mm -hmm. by side because 
it, it helped kind of call out what is standard and what is like unique to this movie. And yeah, the dubbed thing, I was like, is this, why is this dubbed? Like, is mm -hmm. it all ADR? Because there are certain points where, you know, both um, Clint Eastwood and uh, Lee Van Cleef, like, mm -hmm. it's close because yeah. they're both speaking. And you could see sometimes the actors mouthing, like, especially there's a scene where it cuts between people counting mm -hmm. and you can tell each of them, like, you know, numbers are easy enough to recognize in other languages that you're like, okay, I see one, two, three. I see, like, you know, cuatro, cinco, seis. I yes. see, yeah. So I was, it, it was wild. So it was cool seeing in the documentary that they were like, yeah, we just shoot them silent yeah. and, you know, dub over everybody, mm -hmm. so. Which this was also, you know, apparently Leone himself was, uh, he was the type of director who liked to yell out direction during shooting, like uh, while they were actually shooting a scene. Um, but also he didn't speak English. Like he, he, he had this like direct via interpreters on set um, for all of his non-Italian uh, cast. Um, but anyway, yeah, the, the, I think the distinctive style of these movies is what, like that's, that's kind of a, a um, incidental style note for Italian mm -hmm. Westerns. It's just something that wasn't a choice. It just kind of happened that way. But the distinctive style, it's just such a radical departure from other movies, American movies being made at the time. I think that's one of the things that really attracts me personally to this cycle or subgenre. Um, the introduction of the ambiguous or questionable morality among the characters, mm -hmm. um, the more extreme violence than American movies that you would see at the time, being kind of, you know, adapting this American, very American genre and in, injecting it with all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's kind of weird and surreal in a way. Like all the Catholic imagery that they talk about in the documentary as well, like kind of catering to the, uh, the audiences in Italy specifically mm -hmm. where it's it, using kind of, cultural touch touch points and it really comes across in a weird kind of bizarre like hellscape in some cases really yeah, um yeah. i think it's funny how like the opening shot is basically the bible like yes. just a close up on the bible yes. because uh our one of our main characters is sitting there pretending to be a priest uh -huh. just reading from the bible also you know, the, the head up like yeah. book in front of face <laughs> also the uh several scenes take place in like a destroyed church mm -hmm, uh, yeah. including one of the main monologues of the movie is delivered from the pulpit as though this is kind of some perverse sermon yeah. uh, to this gang um, but then also just this surreal atmosphere in general it looks kind of like the southwest but not really because it was shot in spain it was shot in almeria spain right that that was something else from the documentary that they pointed out like it really gave this like mediterranean feel mm -hmm. to westerns and I think that really has, that's another thing that's kind of blended into maybe mm -hmm. my perception because you see, like now thinking about that, the kind of, the different motifs, you see the different like scenes, mm -hmm. they really are quite Mediterranean. Like yeah. with the tiling and the different things, you know, it's still kind of that adobo, a lot of that kind of stucco look, but yeah. it, it, you, there are just those little twists that's like, oh, does yeah. that actually exist in, you know, El Paso or wherever they mm -hmm. el wherever else they were. And then all the people, everyone's all sweaty and ragged. Everyone's very sweaty oh, in these yeah, movies. And you can sweat. you can see that um, to an extent that I don't think was used in American movies really until the 80s when you had like Rambo and stuff like that. <laughs> um, and the unique, the, from an auditory standpoint as well, the unique music mm -hmm. doesn't really sound, it influenced the next 50 years of Western soundtracks, but it was really kind of revolutionary. Uh, you know, I think that the the best music of these of these uh, films comes from a little bit later. Mm. Ennio Morricone is probably the most famous composer, and his music for this movie is 
getting there. Mm. But by the good, the bad, and the ugly, I think that that's really kind of a, a, a masterpiece of just film scoring in general and really had a huge influence on other Italian Westerns as well as just movie soundtracks in general, incorporating that kind of... Incorporating the electric guitar and the mariachi trumpet and a lot of weird kind of vocalizations and stuff. Yeah. And this was one of the ones that they talk about in the documentary that the um, soundtrack was actually written before the movie was yeah, shot. Yeah, a lot of times... fascinating. Yeah, a lot of times uh, Sergio Leone and Ennio Morricone worked together on several movies and apparently that is the way Leone liked to work was to have at least some of the soundtrack ready to give the actors a mood mm. to act off of, which is kind of a reverse of the way I think most film composition works. Mm -hmm. But it's an interesting approach, and I mean, clearly it, it works. Yeah, yeah, it, that is... It just makes me think of, like, you know, if we're pitching ideas sometimes... Something that, an idea that's come up to me recently that I was like, oh, that's actually great, is if you're really talking through, like, in depth the idea of a video... Show, listening to the actual music, yeah. like the type of music, yeah. and it really does like set the stage. It really helps communicate tone without having to use words that you know might mean something different to different people. But when you hear the song, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I, I feel that in yeah. in a more similar way than even sometimes speaking it out loud. And it really allows you to link the music and the image together more tightly when you have the music in mind as you're you're capturing these images. And I think mm -hmm. that. Um, I, I think that, it, you know, it's a great idea when you're in a film, when you're producing a film that is as visual heavy as this particular one is and as this genre tends mm -hmm. to be. Um, and then also just as a small thing, the squeaky gunshots. Like, did you notice this as well? Like all the, the like, gunshots, like, they sound really like, weird. There's like that scream that happens yes. after the gun. Yeah, that I I didn't know if you knew where that came from, but like it no seems clue. like it must be some kind of mechanical thing, unless it's just like, this is what we do in westerns. We make it up. Like, I guess it and, never was a real thing. It's but all of these things, thing. it almost sounds like a little bit like a ray gun or something from Star Wars. Yeah, and all or like of these... a firecracker, like yeah. a, like one of those like screaming banshees or something. Mm -hmm. All of these things together, all these things that we've just been talking about, I think are they combine to create this weird version of what should be a very recognizable American iconic version of American mythology in as, as produced by outsiders who, you know, bring their own flavor to it. But it, it's kind of uncanny and adds a kind of surreality to, to these films most of the time. And I think that's what really intrigues me about them is that it's this version of, it's this kind of dreamy, dreamlike landscape of the American mythology and mm -hmm. the, of, of American Westerns. Um, Stephen King uh, famously put in the intro to like a re-release of the Dark Tower series that he got the idea for the setting of the, uh, the gunslinger specifically from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, that kind of mm. surreal version of the West, the, the American Southwest that appears in, in these Italian Westerns and stuff. Um, and you can kind of see it. It's, it's, it's very unreal, it feels. Yeah, totally. I, I think now seeing a little bit more of what the actual genre is, it's easier to identify like where we see it mm -hmm. now in everything. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure... And I'd be so interested to read whoever's paper or thesis on this, but like, I bet spaghetti westerns have informed like architecture in the American West. Like, I Probably, bet there yeah. are ways that we have now, you know, art influences life, influences mm -hmm. art. Like, yes. 
That's... And that's part of the reason why a lot of these movies took place in like the border region because they could take advantage of the fact that the same Spaniards who built churches and, and, yeah. and deserts architecture in the Spanish desert also influenced the architecture in the Mexican and southwestern United States uh, yeah. desert. Yeah, totally.